worshiping with us online, uh, those who review the messages after now. And um, I want to bless God for your lives. Thank you for the testimonies that you send from time to time about what God is doing in your lives as well. May God continue to help us all in Jesus' name. We are on the eighth session of our nine-part series on unraveling the mystery of godliness. Unraveling the mystery of godliness. And on this eighth part, we are looking at divine health by righteousness. Divine health by righteousness. It is so important for us to understand that as we have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, certain things are our portion. We have looked at the mystery itself as presented by Apostle Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.16. And our first five sessions were, looked, looking, uh, were focused to look at that scripture. But in the last four sessions, uh, which we are now in the third, which is the second to the last, divine health, we are looking at certain things that are some of the characteristics of the righteous. We have looked at boldness. Last week we looked at promotion and how God promotes the righteous. The Bible says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And we have looked at all those. And at the same time, this week we are looking at divine health. Divine health to, to help us to understand what is God's intention for divine health. Now, over the last few years, our, our Pentecostal communities around the world have gained a lot of insight about what divine health is. And as a matter of fact, it is something we all believe. But I want to just do as much as the Holy Spirit is leading me today to help us to bring some clarity. In some quarters, it is not believed at all. In some quarters, it is believed, but believed wrongly. I must say this. In some quarters, the context of divine health is believed and taken to an extreme which we must understand is still not the will of God. Divine health basically is God's provision to man so that he can live in a state of victory over the spirit of infirmity. There is a power, a demonic spirit called the spirit of infirmity. It is of the devil. The same way this, the, the word of God has the spirit of life, that is how the devil has the spirit of infirmity. The same way righteousness confers to us divine health, promotion, boldness. That is the same way sin confers and empowers the spirit of infirmity. Healing. We need to know the difference between healing and divine health. They are one of the same whole, but there is a distinction in the sense that healing has to do with just curing of sickness. Healing is something God gives to mankind out of his mercies. How God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Ghost and power and he went about doing good, healing the sick. When Jesus was living, he said, when you go, make disciples of all nations, heal the sick. So God is always interested in the healing of mankind. Anything that the devil can do to wipe out mankind is his work. John 10.10, 10, he has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And one of the things he uses to, to steal, kill, and destroy is sickness. More people in our world have died due to sickness than anything else. In the last one year to 15 months thereabouts alone, our world has lost hundreds of thousands of people to sickness. It is a spirit of the enemy. And so God gives his children, those who are called the righteous, God gives them the power to walk in divine health as a shield to prevent them from the manifestation and the manipulation and the influence of the spirit of infirmity. This divine health, whilst healing is a merciful gift to all mankind, I want you to know everybody, whether born again or not, whether atheist or not, whether they believe or they don't believe, the healing virtue that God releases out of his mercy can cause them to be healed in the many ways God has made healing possible. I want us to understand that. God does not intend that anybody remains in a blasphemous state and be healed and just live like that to the end. He's not willing that any should perish. But at the same time, his mercy is to all mankind. His grace and his mercy is to all mankind for healing. But divine health, the capacity to walk in divine health, this power over the spirit of infirmity and to be in control and to be able to cast out the spirit of infirmity is given only to those who have named the name of the Lord as the righteous, as we will see in the word of God. Why does he give us divine health? 
so that we can fully glorify him. There is no glory that comes to God when a, the people of God are unable to do what God has called them to do because they are incapacitated by sickness. There is no glory to God. Everywhere God went, everywhere Jesus went when he came, every time he saw sickness, he attended to it. Every time. Because there is no glory in sickness. And I want us all to understand how important it is for us to appreciate the things that God wants us to understand and to learn in this time so that we can be a people who are truly working in divine health as he has ordained. Praise the Lord. And so we're going to go back. In Earlier on, Sister Judith led us very, very powerfully in uh, reading of our scripture today. A very simple story from Luke chapter 13. We read from verse 10 to verse 17. But I want to just quickly um, pick a few verses from there. We know the story. Jesus walks into the synagogue and there was a woman that was bent down. And she had a spirit of infirmity. Let's look at her story in Luke 13 verse 11. He said, there was a woman who had the spirit of infirmity. Somebody say the spirit of infirmity. I want you to be remembering this throughout the discussion today. Infirmity. This is a limiting spirit. It's a bounding spirit. This is why you will understand that divine health is not just about you overcoming fever and, uh, you know, uh, uh, COVID or any kind of sickness like that. Anything that binds, anything that enslaves, anything that puts you in a situation where you are incapacitated in your spirit, in your soul, in your body, is a spirit of infirmity. Jesus came specifically as one of the things he gave to, to give us is to take away our infirmities, according to Isaiah 53. The Bible says there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for how long? 18 years. And for you to be able to understand why the scripture always puts these things there. There was a man that was bound for 38 years. One woman had suffered 12 years. This one suffered 18 years. There are, those things are given there for our own learning to understand that those spirits remain there for as long as they are not confronted. They remain for as long. They don't mind you doing anything as much as you can, but as long as you don't confront them, they stay there. This woman had been going to the temple for 18 years. That spirit had been tormenting her. The Bible says, and what did it do to her? It bent her over and she could in no way raise herself up. That's what the spirit of infirmity does. It puts people in situations of helplessness. It makes it difficult for people to be able to live life to the full. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus wants that woman to be able to stand and move around and do things like everybody else should be doing. But here was she, bent over by that spirit, and she could in no way raise herself up. There are many people today who are bound in many ways as we'll be seeing in the different ways. I want you to keep remembering this story as we look at the different areas we need to walk in divine health as God gives us understanding today in Jesus' name. And when Jesus saw her, let's read verse 12. The Bible says, but when Jesus saw her, verse 12, let's go together. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. Now, Jesus hadn't gone to the cross at this time. He hadn't gone to perform the final rites that was going to give us the power to continue to be loosed from every infirmity. At that point in time, he was still physically going about loosening everyone like he got to this woman, like he got to the man that was born blind, like he got to the man that was tormented by demons in, in Luke chapter 5, the man that was born blind in Luke chapter 9, the centurion's son in Mark chapter 8, and so on and so forth. The woman with the issue of blood. He was going about loosening everyone from their infirmity. He said, you are loosed from your infirmity. And I decree today that you are loosed from every infirmity. In the name of Jesus. I know that because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In verse 13. And he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made straight. And look at that. In my, in my notes, I highlighted glorified God. This is what it's all about. 
you are loosed from infirmity to glorify God. Hallelujah. That is why you must use your divine health to glorify God. You know, when people are made free, every time in the scriptures you will see, in Acts chapter 3, that man that was at Gate Beautiful. Remember his story? I, I talk his story a lot. You will think that I knew him personally. <laughs> in the man said, uh, so Jesus, Peter said, such as I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the Bible says when he got strength in his ankle bones and he found that he could walk, the Bible says, and he was walking and leaping and praising God. And he ran into the temple, what he has been daring and dreaming to do for years. The purpose of being delivered from infirmity is to glorify God. In Luke chapter 17, just giving you some scriptures, I told you there will be a lot of scriptures I want you to write down so that you can reflect on later on. In Luke chapter 17, the Bible says there were 10 lepers who came to Jesus Christ. And when one of them saw that he was healed, when Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. And when one of them saw that he was healed, the Bible says he came back and he glorified God. And then Jesus said, is he the only one? Where are the nine? Okay. But the fact is that he came back and he glorified God. We can go on and on. The man that I just talked about in John chapter 9, the man born blind, he kept on going that this man, they, they said that, why are you rejoicing that this man is a sinner? He said, whether you call him a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I can tell you is once I was blind, but now I can see. You can't take that away from me. Hallelujah. This is why believers must not be quiet about the power of divine health. Every deliverance you have received must be testified. Never say anything is too small. The story I shared for you before we started, I have preached it across nations for years because it was the first miracle that I had as a person. And I want you to understand here today that God wants every one of us to walk in that place where we are consistently loose from infirmity so that we can be glorifying God. You need the strength of God and you need to be able to walk in divine health to do God's work and to do the work that God has called you to do. You cannot function fully in this life. You cannot be optimum if you don't walk in divine health as a Christian. You can't. Because God has called you into many spheres of life. He has called you to, to ministry, of course. He has called you to some vocational work most of the time. He has called you to a family. He has called you to be a husband, a wife. He has called you to be a parent. Every one of those things need you to have a balance of emotional, spiritual, emotional, physical health. For you to be effective. You need to know that the, the, the concept of the, the, the provision of divine health is not an option for a believer. A believer must walk into the full understanding of it so that they can take hold of all that God has presented. And of course, you know, the, the, the religious people were against him. They were saying, why would he heal her on a Sabbath day? And we know that there is still a lot of religion today that talks against divine health. And says that some people are pushing it as something that is of the now. Meanwhile, it is something that had gone with the apostles. I don't understand how people... You know, when people say something went with the Old Testament, I would say maybe it's, under, it's lack of understanding. But wherever they read that some things went with the apostles, I don't know how that... <laughs> I don't know how they come about those kind of things. You know, they say some things were happening in the time of the apostles and it has gone with them. Who took it away? <laughs> Hallelujah. So nothing went with the apostles. We just need to understand that, yes, there are contemporary times. You know, the apostles did not have the computers we have today. They didn't have airplanes. They didn't have those things. They had donkeys. They didn't even have cars. So we can't read about cars in their acts. But they are all entrenched. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I want us all to understand this. In verse 16, Jesus said to, that woman, to, to the, to the uh, temple uh, people, in Luke chapter 13, verse 16, he said, So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound? And Jesus said, Think of it. Think of it for 18 years. Reflect on this. Is it right? Is it correct? This woman for 18 years, ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, being a righteous one, being one who has been sanctified, being one who has been delivered, but Satan has bound. He said, think of it, just for you to know that there is no one that Satan does not attempt to bind. 
There is no one that Satan does not attend. Many people have asked and argued and say, can a child of God be bound by Satan? Can a child of God be possessed? Can a child of God be uh, uh, obsessed? And so on and so forth. Satan does not have regard for Christian, non-Christian. He doesn't have regard for child or elderly. All he is seeking to do is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So if the righteous, the Bible says, if the righteous breaks the hedge, even the serpent will bite him. He is waiting for the righteous to, as long as the righteous is within the hedge, he can't do anything. That's what he said to Job, uh, to, to, about Job. He said, is it not because you have a hedge of protection around you? He said, take it off and watch me deal with him. And the moment God took it off, you can see rapid firing. What you read in the book of Job for about 40 chapters took place in nine months. Nine months. That long story. <laughs> Only nine months. And everything from Job chapter 41 to 42 took place over another 120 years after Job was restored. Nine months, he took everything away and punished him, put sores, put everything. He doesn't waste time. So what I'm trying to say here is that, friends, let us understand we have a devil today that is very active in what he has been called to do. We are not to live in fear of him. We are not to live afraid that he can do more than God permits him. But we must understand that God has already given us victory over him. Hallelujah. But we must come from a place of understanding. Now, I want to quickly take us back as to where God first defined himself as Jehovah Rapha, as the God who heals us. We all know that the children of Israel bound in, in, in slavery in Egypt was a type of our sinful state where we are bound by Satan under his torment before we got born again. And the deliverance from, excuse me, from Egypt into taking, uh, taking out of Egypt and delivered out of Egypt is like our salvation. If you look at Colossians 1, he said he rescued us out of the, verse 13, he rescued us out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his son. So when he took them out of, the, out of Egypt, they were going, and the Bible says in Exodus 15, they came to a place called Marah, verse 23. They could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name was called Marah. They were bitter. Water is meant to be refreshing. Life, like life, is meant to be refreshing. But when there is infirmity, there is bitterness. When there is infirmity, there is unpleasantness. When there is infirmity, there is a stinking. When there is infirmity, there is some kind of inconvenience. They need to drink the water. Like people need to have their whole life with them. But when there is bitterness, as God using this occasion to launch himself to his people. Remember when Moses went to them, he said to them, I am that I am has sent me, just as he has commanded. But when he was about to tell them that I am Jehovah Rapha, he used this bitter water as the experience. So that we can understand today that whatever still causes bitterness must go back to the place where he introduced himself, first to mankind and to those whom he has called as the one who heals them. The Bible says, therefore, the name of it was called Marah. Verse 24, of course, the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? And so he cried out, verse 25, to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. Somebody say, a tree. The Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made, what? Sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and then he tested them. Let's read verse 26 together. And he said, verse 26, let's go. And said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandment and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So he introduced himself as the Lord who heals their Jehovah Rofika or Jehovah Rapha. And this is very important for us to understand that when we talk about divine health, we cannot absolve God. But I want us to look at verse 25 again. Verse 25. The Bible says, so he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. The word tree there is a type, and I will go through some scriptures again. The word tree there is a type of the cross of Christ. The Bible says he was hung on a tree. So what, Jesus, what God was illustrating to his people then is part of his redemption plan 
ultimately for mankind to hang his son on a tree and make him the final emblem and symbol of man's deliverance, not just from sin, but also of sickness. Hallelujah. He said, when he took that tree, he cast it into the waters. He cast it into the affairs of life that was bitter. He cast it into the affairs of life that was bent over. He cast it into the affairs of life that was painful and sorrowful. And the Bible says, and the waters became sweet. That is what divine healing does. And the perpetuity of that sweetness is divine health. Anytime they needed to drink from the waters of Mara, it was now sweet. Because the tree has been used to cast out the spirit of infirmity. What made the waters bitter is the spirit of infirmity. I want every one of us to understand this because it should change our perspective on how we see divine healing and divine health. And I also want to say something here, which a lot of my Pentecostal friends will not like, I'm very sure. The tree is also a type of physical medicine. It's also a representation of physical medicine. Most of the medicines that are available today are tree extracts. They are things that have been synthesized from herbs and trees. Those of us that grew up in tropical Africa can tell you certain leaves that you can just pluck if you are feeling feverish and you make tea with it with very hot water. It drives out all the fever. <laughs> you drink it hot, hot like that. All the fever will start coming out of your pores. <laughs> ordinary trees. Ordinary trees. Ordinary trees. I told you last week that I had been stung by a scorpion twice when I was young. The, 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 the first one was a baby scorpion that hid inside my shoe. So I didn't feel that one much. They just gave me some minor treatment and it was gone. But the second one, the scorpion was as big as that. Stung me at the, at the, we had just finished praying. My father used to lead some men on a Thursday evening in our house. They are all church people, but they come to the house to learn the Bible. And he did that for many years, probably 15 years or so. So every time I came back for holidays, and uh, uh, we, we were at home. I used to join them when I came back either from secondary school or even from university. That time, I had just finished university, but because, like you know my story, it was the same year I went into second, into uni I just finished secondary school, but because it was the same time I went into university, uh, I, I, I was preparing to go. But then we were at home. So this Thursday evening, we had just finished praying. I knelt down like that, and as I stood up to just put on my shoes, and everybody was, we, we were about to close. I just felt this thing. Because I had, I had experienced it the first time, I knew exactly it was a scorpion again. <laughs> I just shouted, ah, scorpion. <laughs> so they brought the torchlight, and it was standing there. Then they killed it, and then they, they tied my foot with uh, uh, some cloth, just to make sure that the blood flow, does the, the poison doesn't rise. That's what it does, the venom. And as soon as they tied it, somebody went out and got this leaf called the African basil. It's like a minty leaf like this. Some of us would know it. Um, and um, when you put it in uh, soup or something, there's a way it gives it some minty flavor. It's a very nice uh, thing. But one of, the, one of the brothers there, one of the brothers who attended the meeting, went and he plucked some. And right before my eyes, he was rubbing it on the point where I had the sting. And right before my eyes... This was the thing coming back. The, venous, the venom started to flow the other way and was coming out like this. And I was stunned just by that leaf. Of course, we prayed and trust God that it would not have risen beyond the thing. But what I'm trying to say is that it was just a leaf. Now, God, the problem with man is when man now starts to worship those leaves and worships the trees and, and disregards the God who put it out of his wisdom puts healing inside those leaves. That is the problem. And that is why our Pentecostal people want to hate everything called medicine and everything called, because they, they want to just prevent people from understanding that it has to be God. But I want you to know, the devil has no power whatsoever and no intention whatsoever to create any form of healing. He doesn't. His work is to destroy. He has never ever manufactured one drug. So those of you saying COVID-19 the vaccination is of the devil. The devil, he, he doesn't do that. <laughs> what he will do before, before people know what he's doing, he has killed so many people. 
It's not these kind of things. I want you to understand, the devil will never manufacture medicine that will heal people. Never. It goes against what he's called to do. But what he will do is anything that will kill. And so, I want us to get the balance right. Medicine is not of the devil. And if you, if you have to use medicine in God's wisdom for treating an ailment, please use the medicine. But remember, it is God who is the Lord who heals you. Hallelujah. Yes, let's give the Lord a big hand. It has nothing to do with lack of faith. Many have seen, I'm 52 years old in July. In fact, the day of the lockdown is my birthday, isn't it? <laughs> the day lockdown release, Mr. Boris said, I want you to celebrate. <laughs> anyway, but you know something? I've seen many believers die needlessly. Needlessly. The medicine to use is there. God is the healer. They refuse the medicine and they die. They don't have the faith to believe the God. That's foolishness. I don't want to see such things around me. I don't want to see such things anymore. If you are given something to use as a medical prescription, as a medicine, as something that is going to help you to overcome that ailment, take it and use it and believe God to help you. Hallelujah. Amen. Enough of all this nonsense. If you want to believe God and you have faith to believe that you don't need to use it, truly, no problem. Honestly, no problem whatsoever because be it unto you according to your faith. That's fine. Be it unto you according to your faith. And I will not challenge you. But if you do it for a child and that child dies, we will hold you responsible. If you do it for anybody else and something else happens to them and you say, no, we are not, we reject every medicine. We reject this. And you are praying and praying. And that child dies. I've seen it. I've seen it. I don't want to see it again. I don't want to see it again. Give the children, give the people that need medicine, the medicine and pray. And say, God, we put our trust in you. The ability to believe that God works through herbs and medicine is in itself faith in God. Hallelujah. Now, having said all that, the balance is this. Like I said to you, there is always a balance with everything. If you do not keep your focus on the one who heals and you put it in the medicine, you are walking in unbelief. You must always remember that it is the Lord that heals. That's the first thing. Then secondly, understand this about medicine as well. Medicine can become a weight. You can break yourself from the stronghold of medicine if you are given a prescription that you have to use for such a long time. I've been there before. In 1988, I used to have a, 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 a gastric ulcer. Terrible one. I was getting to final year in university, and it will come. And they, they, when I go to our doctors, he gives me a, 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 a bowl of medicine like that because I have to take so many every day to neutralize the acids in my tummy. I will sit in lectures like this. Within one hour, I'm feeling hungry. I've just eaten, but I'll be feeling hungry, and I'll be feeling all the pain, as if they put fire inside my tummy. And one day, I say, Lord, you have healed me before. Five years before that time, God had delivered me, like I shared my testimony. I didn't pray. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't do I just went, and I stood on the word of God. I said, this thing today marks your end in the name of Jesus by myself. <laughs> The Bible says when you get restless. <laughs> Hallelujah. So medicine can become a chore. So I am saying use it. You can use it. But when you find that it is becoming something else, it's draining your finances, it's draining your time, it's making it difficult for you, you can still stand on the word of God and say, Lord, I need your healing power. And God will come true for you in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to make those clarifications because there are things that have been taught over the years. Please get me right. I am full of faith in God as a supernatural healer. I believe God can heal without medicine. I have experienced it many times, like I said. I've prayed for people. In this church, we have seen people that God delivered from terminal cases. Not once, not twice, not three times in the eight years of this church. There was one of our brothers. He's no more here. One day, they brought him in here in crouches. Maybe those of you that are old, old enough will remember. They virtually supported him from inside the lift and he managed to sit there. I was sitting here and I said, Lord, this is not right. I said, this is not right. Deliver your servant. He used to be the one that took care of our radiators and, and stuff many years ago in around 2015, 2014 before he left the area. Do you know, I said, this is not right. And after they left, after we left here, I went to his house and we prayed. 
And I said to him, I said, you are going to rise. I called his name. I said, brother, so, so, and so, you are going to rise and you are going to praise God again in the congregation of the saints by yourself. Nobody holding you. It wasn't up to two weeks. It wasn't up to two weeks. Right before our eyes, God started to heal him. Some of you will remember his story. Another brother like that, they put him, I went to New Cross, uh, sorry, to Mano Hospital. Was he in Mano? New Cross he was, sorry. They admitted him into New Cross. He was also diagnosed. We had a doctor uh, colleague here then. He told me, he called me privately, Dr. Ezekiel. He called me privately. He said, Pastor, we need to pray for this brother. He said, this is a terminal case. I said, terminal? I said, we reject it. We refuse it. And the brother himself said, they told him that it has a potential to be. And we were praying in this church. We were praying constantly. The, the, wife, the brother and the wife used to lead our youth ministry. They moved to Warwick area uh, to start their business there, to establish their business, which they started that time. And supernaturally, God came through for him. He fought that thing for many years, but God came through for him. I want you to know that God is truly a healer. And whatever it is that is an infirmity in your life, God himself will come through for you today. In the name of Jesus. So I believe in divine health. I believe in divine healing. I believe God can heal in any way, shape, or form. But I want you to know that there is also the wisdom of God if he makes it available by way of medicine and other kinds of therapy that can be of help. Only be sure that you keep giving glory to God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. The Bible says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. Say, by his stripes, I am healed. By his stripes, I am healed. You are healed. You were healed. You are not going to be healed. You are already healed. I say, you are already healed. Every spirit of infirmity that attacks you is attacking somebody who is already healed. And God will give you victory over them in Jesus' name. The word of God is God's provision for divine health. We need to have faith in the word. Like I quoted the centurion, Mark chapter 8 verse 8, the centurion said, speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. And Jesus said, I've never seen faith like this, not, not even in Israel. And that very hour, the Bible says his servant was healed. The woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5 verse 27 and 28, the woman said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, she came behind him, not even in front of him. And as she touched it, the Bible says the, the, the virtue came out of Jesus Christ. What you believe with the word is what is important. Luke chapter 5 verse 17, just giving you some scriptures. The Bible says he, as he was teaching, the power of God was present to him. You see, this is another problem of our Pentecostal generation. We have grown up in a generation that has been taught that until hands are laid anointing oil is poured. While I believe those things, you know, we do those things as commanded. Until there is a physical contact, many people cannot receive their healing. I've been in many meetings where we've just prayed and declared over God's people that the deliverance is here. Whatever God commands us to declare, we declare and so on. And then after all that, at the end of the meeting, somebody will still come and say, man of God, please lay hands on me because I want to be healed. And you are like, were you not in part of this? <laughs> We have prayed over these things before. The Bible says that, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but I just want you to know that when the word is being declared, have enough faith, it is enough. I say it is enough. This time last year, I was the only one with, the, with some of my family members because of lockdown that was heavy that time, that was ministering from inside this hall here. If we had been raised as people who were always laid hands on every week, I don't know how you would have coped and how I would have coped. <laughs> because I would have had to be laying hand on the camera to, to make sure that <laughs> I'm still ministry. <laughs> and you two would have been touching your computer or your TV, whatever. <laughs> because we're used to the word. We're used to the word. It was seamless. One of my pastor friends said, ah, Pastor, there's no way. He was looking at the video. He said, you can't tell me that there was nobody in this hall. I said, there's nobody. I said, I was the only one. He said, no, it's not true. I said, I, I will not be lying to you. <laughs> he said, he didn't see any difference from the way we, I, I used to minister when there was, where, before the lockdown and after. He said, ah, there are mostly people there. We didn't show them. I said, no, there's nobody. <laughs> Praise the Lord. 
The word, the word, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, say, my son, give attention to my words. My son, give attention to my words. Inclare your ears to my sayings. Verse 21, do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Verse 22, for they are life to those who find them, and they are health to all their flesh. Every one of us must realize that what verse 22 is saying here is that there is a release of the word of God that gives us total divine health, spirit, soul, and body. When he talks about life to those who find them, he's talking about your spirit person and your soul. And health to all your flesh is talking about your body. He said your word. His word is life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. God wants us to have, I'll very quickly take us through those three areas. God wants us to have, somebody say spiritual health. Say emotional health. Say physical health. When we talk about divine health, it's not just about physical. Many people always think about physical health. And maybe at times they think about emotional, mental health or emotional health. But the reality is that God wants us to have it spirit, soul, and body. Like the Bible tells us that he has sanctified us in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. He said, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Isn't it? Spirit, soul, and body. That may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the coming of the Lord. So let's quickly look at spiritual health. This is the vitality and activeness of our spirit man. Remember, say with me, man is a spirit, he has a soul, and lives in a body. Now, I want you to keep remembering the spirit of infirmity. Everything about sickness, its root, is the spirit of infirmity. Okay, keep remembering that. Now, the spiritual health is the vitality and activeness of our spirit man. When we get born again, we become a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. We walk in righteousness. We become the righteousness of God in Christ. But you see, anytime we give access to the devil, what he does is that he, he can't change our status, but he pollutes, he covers us. Every time we come into, he gives, we, we give him opportunity of entrance by way of sin and unbelief and those kind of things. He comes in and affects our spirit man. This is what David was trying to describe in Psalm 51. When he say, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew the right spirit within me. When he had the spirit of God, he was able to function well, live well, live right. But when he went into sin, he knew that he now had a polluted spirit. And that is why he was begging God. And he said, a broken and a contrite heart you will not despise. I bring that hardened ground. The Bible says it becomes a fallow ground that we have to break. So our spiritual state is so important. The devil wants us to become hardened. He wants us. God now says that instead of that spirit of stone, he has given us this heart of flesh. But God wants us to be a people who are hardened, walking in, in disobedience, disregarding the things of God. So that the, the devil, sorry, wants us to be a people who are hardened, walking in disobedience against the things of God. And so he keeps walking to make our hearts hardened. I want to give us how we walk in divine health in our spirit man or spiritual health so that we don't allow our hearts to get so hardened and give an occasion to become in a sinful state. The first thing we need to be doing is to be active worshippers. Say active worshippers. Philippians 3.3. 3. He said, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. We are, we are of the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. That's Philippians 3.3. Philippians 3.3. It is so important for us to understand that every one of us must be active in our worship life. Worship is what we offer to God to declare his sovereignty, consistently declaring his majesty. We don't have to wait to come together for corporate worship, which is good and important, but in our personal lives consistently, we must be worshipers. The Bible says now is the time, and those that must worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's a constant thing. You are in your car, you are giving him glory. You are in your house, you are giving him glory. You are at work, you are giving him glory. Keep giving him glory. It keeps your spirit man very vibrant. When your spirit man is vibrant, you have the power to control 
and influence your soul and your body much more. That is why David was able to say in 1 Samuel 25 that, and the Bible says about David, and David encouraged himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself because he had a vibrant spirit man. He had a spirit man that was active, vibrant, and was able to speak to a soul that was downcast. He spoke in his psalm. He said, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. The reason why the devil doesn't want you to have a spiritual, healthy lifestyle is because it is your power base. When everything is distorted in the spirit of a man, then you will find a man that will be confused in the soul and you will find a man that will be easily attacked by sickness in the body. We need to keep protecting the spirit man. Worship helps us to keep the spirit man rejoicing in Christ. Did I have that scripture of Philippians 3.3? 3? He said they worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. They don't have any confidence in the flesh. They are people who are broken in their spirit. They are people who are humble before the Lord. They, are not, they don't call themselves self-made people. They don't call themselves self-starters. They don't call themselves uh, 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 people who depend on themselves. They have no confidence in the flesh. They are always humble to acknowledge that God is Lord. Jesus is Lord over their lives. This is what keeps your spirit man healthy. Also, fellowship. Fellowship. This is the meeting together of the saints. As iron sharpens iron, they encourage one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 26 says, How is it then, brethren, when you come together, each one of you has a psalm? has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edification. Let all things be done for the lifting of the spirit man. You've just heard some songs. You've just heard the worship team lead us powerfully. It is done to edify your spirit man. This is why we're very, very careful and selective about the songs we sing. We don't just sing songs that make us feel good. There are many songs that can you sing it through. Yes, you are a child of God and it makes you feel good. And it's a godly song. It's not that it's a sin. But it's not necessarily a song that is lifting up the majestic nature of God. It's not a song that is attributing who he is to him completely. Those kind of songs may be good to help you to feel good. But what really gives you edification is when you lift up his his name in praise and in worship and he comes down to inhabit that praise. That is what changes everything. So every one of us must make sure that in, in fellowship we are holding ourselves accountable, embracing what we do by way of what we do in the word, in the ministry, in the communion, all those things. Let's bring them together and have our spiritual health serviced. Then the last thing I want to talk about, there are many ways we can keep it vibrant, prayer and so on, but I want to talk on evangelism. Psalm 126, verse 6. He said, He who continually goes forth bearing seed, weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing sheaves. Somebody say, He goes forth weeping, bearing seeds, which is the word of God. Say, which is the word of God? Shall doubtless come again rejoicing. Say spiritual health, bringing sheaves, which is the harvest, with him. Every time you go, the Bible says in Mark 4, remember when we talk about the mind and the hearts, the different types of the hearts of man. It said the seed is the word of God. Every time we sow the seed of the word of God in the life of somebody. And this is not just about telling them about salvation alone. That is the, the, the new birth experience of salvation. But even if you are encouraging somebody about what it is to make the most of the salvation they already have, what you are doing is you are bearing precious seed. You are weeping about it. You are concerned. You are empathizing. You are doing it in a way that you desire to see those people transformed. Then such a person, the Bible says, will doubtless come again rejoicing. They doubtless come again consistently with vibrancy in their hearts. One of the things that brings stagnation in the life of believers is when they don't take evangelism seriously. They don't take exhortation seriously. They don't take encouraging others seriously. Then life becomes stagnant in the spirit and it becomes frustrating. May God deliver us from such frustration in Jesus' name. 
Make it a point of duty to be a blessing to one person at least on a daily basis, either by the phone or on, on a chat or in a physical way. Just continue to be a person bearing precious seed. Weeping there means that you are doing it. You are doing it with intention to actually see a transformation in the life of the person. Hallelujah. And then I'll quickly move to emotional health. This is the strength of our inner man. I want to talk about one way that we can build our inner man that we always, we usually trivialize. This is by joy or laughter. Proverbs 6, 17 verse 22. We build our inner man by living a joyful lifestyle or by ensuring that we laugh. <laughs> Proverbs 17, 22, the Bible says, a merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Laughter, some versions say, is like medicine. Laughter is like medicine. The devil doesn't want people to laugh because he knows the power of laughter. Laughter heals. Laughter helps you to have, uh, the, the, to have the power of deliverance from the spirit of infirmity like a medicine. When the Bible says David was playing the harp and he used to play for, and, and, and the spirit of infirmity will leave him, it's because Saul must have begun to laugh. He must have begun to rejoice when he was hearing the music. The spirit of infirmity cannot stay in a truly joyful person. Find a way to laugh. Just make yourself laugh. If nothing makes you laugh, find something that makes you laugh all the time and look at it and laugh again. One day, a few, about two weeks ago, I was listening to one message I preached here recently, and it had a bit of thing that was funny in it. I can't remember what it was, and I was laughing in the message, and people were laughing as well. And the way I sat down in the dining room looking at it, I was laughing again. So my wife came back and said, you are very funny. I said, what is that? He said, you are laughing at yourself. I said, yes. <laughs> he said, are you not the one speaking? I said, I'm the one. <laughs> As long as it makes me laugh, I don't care. I just like it. Laughter helps you. It, I find that it makes your mind free. The more you laugh, the more you are able to free yourself. My little elder brother died in the year 2015. I couldn't travel to Nigeria. Then he was in Nigeria. I couldn't travel to Nigeria then. On a Wednesday like this, I heard the news. We used to have midweek service in the hall here at that time. And I heard the news just about an hour before the message. And I came up here to preach. And I was still making people laugh. And we were laughing and laughing. After the message, I called some of the, the, the church leaders there. In the church office there. I said, brethren, please pray for me. My brother has just gone to be with the Lord. They were shocked. They said, when did you hear this? I said, about four hours ago. <laughs> they were shocked. They were stunned. Because they could not imagine somebody who has lost somebody that close to them still being able to. Never let the devil hold you down. When I, a few months later, when I was able to travel home and I saw my mom, I knew my mom seeing me would remind her and I know her, my father must have gotten over it, but I knew my mom, the moment she saw me, she would break down. The moment she wants to, because she has not seen me physically. So as soon as I got in, she started crying, which I expected, and then I hugged her and then we were talking. And then the next thing I started doing was reminding them of all the funny things my brother used to say. And then she was crying and laughing at the same time. <laughs> Tears were coming out of her eyes, but she was laughing. Learn to laugh. Learn to laugh. Couples teach each other good jokes. Don't get vile. Don't look at things. I watch a lot of comedy. I choose comedy and uh, things that are good that are not. I don't look at vulgar things. But things that just make people laugh, some silly thing that people do and you're just funny, it's just funny. You laugh, 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 laugh. The Bible says a merry heart does good like medicine. Every one of my children, when they were growing up, I had songs I used to sing to them that I used to tell them and remind them of. Just laugh, just laugh. Tell your neighbor for me, just laugh. Say, keep laughing. The devil doesn't want you to laugh. I don't know. He doesn't want you to laugh. He wants you to be complaining and worried every day. You have to make up your mind to be laughing. Hallelujah. Then the next thing about your emotional health is contentment and peace of mind. 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. I'll move very quickly now because of time. 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. Godliness and contentment, verse 6, is great gain. Verse 7. Please look at verse 7 with me. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we carry nothing out. 
Don't worry yourself about the things of this world. You did not bring them in, and you are not taking them anywhere. Whatever you have per time, look at what he said in verse 7. And having food and clothing, with these, what? We shall be content. You need to learn the grace for contentment, not complacency. Complacency is anti-God because that means you are saying that you are complacent, you don't believe God for bigger things. That's not what it means. That, that's not what he's saying. But be content. Be happy with what you have. When I was cutting my wife, she will, she will, I was living in one town, she was schooling in another, and she would travel down uh, at the weekend like on a Saturday. She will come very early in the morning and she will buy one chicken. Somebody say one chicken. Just one whole chicken like that. She will buy it, cut it up. So at any point in time, I knew the kind, I know I knew the pieces of meat in my stew. <laughs> because one chicken can only have two ties and two. <laughs> so I knew everything. She would cook it like that and go back to school. And that's what I, I would eat for the, re- for the rest of the week. So one day she came. It was, uh, it, it was towards the end of the week. She arrived and uh, a guest now came. And it was remaining the last piece of meat. That's my life. It was remaining the last piece of me. So she brought it and uh, she served. I'm sorry, there were remaining two pieces. Sorry about that. So she served one to, our, to my guest and she put one in my, <laughs> in my stew. So as I was eating, as I remember that that was the last one with me, I looked at her. She looked back at me, kind of like, we're going to share that one. You know that? <laughs> we didn't talk, we didn't do anything. So as I picked it up and I looked at her direction, I put it back down. <laughs> my, my, my guest didn't know what was happening. <laughs> he thought we were just looking at each other. After the thing, we packed all the plates. So when he left, we brought out our chicken. <laughs> Hallelujah. But she, we, have, we were not yet married then. We were not yet married. We were just planning to get married. This was 1994, early 94. And you know, we were content. About eight years ago, about almost 10 years ago, 2012, nine years ago, we went to Singapore. Lovely Marina Bay Sands, one of the most beautiful hotels we've ever stayed in life. Beautiful place. We sat down, and when we were eating, the first meal we ate cost us $80 each. As we were eating, I said, do you remember that one piece of chicken? I said, that's why it is very good to be content. We were content those days and happy. That's why God made it possible. We don't eat $80 every day, please, I beg you. <laughs> In fact, I told her that day, I said, actually, this is a celebratory dinner. After today, go into town and look for those cheap Chinese. <laughs> and trust her, she found one that they were selling $60. I said, God bless you. <laughs> that's where we were eating before we left Singapore. But, you know, we, we remember that there was a day we were sharing one piece of chicken, and then, what is this life? What is this life? Chicken? People kill themselves over things that are so temporal. I was reminding her of an armed robber that broke into our house in 1976. What was he trying to steal? A grunding television. These televisions used to be in a box, like a coffin like that. Yeah? They had a kind of a gate. When they open, if your father is going now, you will lock his <laughs> Those fathers of those days, man, they were like kings. When they came back with the key, that was all of us would be dancing. <laughs> I wish we had videos to record these things because some of these young people can never believe these things. We will be dancing because the key to the television has come back. <laughs> and one arm robber broke into our house to steal that box and he nearly died by jumping from it. <laughs> I, remind, I told my wife last week, I said, can you imagine somebody was going to kill himself because of this television that doesn't even exist anymore? <laughs> there is nothing. The Bible says whatever things you have, be content. It helps your emotional state. You have five dollars, that's five pounds, that's what you have. Enjoy it. Five pounds, 50 pounds, 500 pounds, 5,000 pounds, however it is to you, enjoy it, use it well to the glory of God. Be content with such things as you have. Have the peace of mind. The other thing I will quickly say is for your emotional health and well-being, always think positively. Philippians 4.8 will not turn to it. 
He said, whatever things are good, whatever things are pure. Some people, do you know that everything you see, you can always see negative? It is possible to always see negative if you want. So you make a deliberate choice. You can be looking at your spouse like this and all you see is the, the, the hair they have not brushed, the, 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 the teeth they did not uh, do, this and that. You will just be seeing all the negative. Instead of you to see the things that have attracted you to them and made you joyful that you are their spouse in the first instance. Keep seeing things that are positive. One of my weaknesses in life is that the moment I meet you, and I, and I thank God for that weakness anyway, because it has helped me a lot and it's helping me. The moment I meet you, I quickly find something positive. And that is what I hold for the rest of my life. No matter what you do to me again, it makes it very easy for me to forgive you because I remember that one good thing. It's very important. The power of positivity. And then have healthy friendships. Have healthy friendships. Be careful the friends you keep. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9, he said that two are better than one. Friends can be good, but make sure you have friends that edify you. Ladies, don't make friends with women who have a disregard for the marital institution. No matter what has brought you together, it is potential danger. Because those people do not have a... I'm not saying hate them. I'm only saying that your best friends cannot be people who have a disregard utter disregard. I'm not saying people who have been unfortunate and have had to divorce because of uh, abuse or things or bereavement. That's not what I'm talking about. But some women who just have a, a thing about men, be careful. If, you, if your friends are like that, they will pollute your emotional well-being. Men don't make friends with men who like jumping on their wives, who are always talking about other women. Always talking about, when you meet them, he's always talking about one side chick and the other side chick and front chick. I always wonder why somebody wants to be a side chick, by the way. <laughs> a whole human being, you want to be a side chick. Why do you want to be a side chick? Be a proper wife. Hallelujah. Have healthy friendships. Let your marital union have a healthy connotation to it. The Bible says that God is the one that brought you together. Enjoy your marital union. Husband and wives, leverage your togetherness. Don't let the devil cheat you out of it. Don't make your differences your problems. Celebrate your differences. Learn about your differences and celebrate them. My wife and I are very different in many ways. She likes very cold tea. I can't stand cold tea. I like my tea almost burning my tongue. That's how I drink tea. She likes very hot food. I don't know how she eats it. It has to be piping hot. She can have hot food, cold tea. Me, I cannot stand <laughs> Me, I like the food not so hot, but not cold, but not so hot. So we laugh about these things. Me, I pick out what I will wear before the Sunday. My, what I'm going to wear on Sunday is settled. My wife can change three times before you see her in the service. <laughs> I was joking with her this morning. I said, I've, I've now learned that the way I left, because I always leave her at home to get here, and she drives in later. I've said, I've learned now that I'm not surprised. Before... I will be praising God like this. By the time I look side, I will almost say, ah, ladies, my wife is the one that sits here because I will recognize that she's the one because she has changed what I saw her wearing when I left. <laughs> when I left home, she, she has changed that one again. So I told her, I said, now I'm so confident that anytime I just look, whatever I see, that's what I see. <laughs> Celebrate it. But you know, it can be a problem. Some men can look at that and say, why can't you make up your mind? Wear something. Hey, that, 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 that. Or she looks at me and says, what's wrong with you? You are going to judge. You are picking out your clothes and shoes. Are you a baby? <laughs> Celebrate it. Celebrate it. So I make her tea at the same time as my own. And I put it somewhere for her. I tell her, your tea is cooling off there. <laughs> but I enjoy my own heart. And she knows. She knows. The same thing with food. When she's, she serves it, she starts eating hers. We pray she starts eating hers. She knows that mine has to cool down a bit. I'm just giving you one example there. We've lived like that for over 25 years. We've lived like that. And you can decide. Your marriage should be what you are looking forward to. I look forward to being with my wife every time. You have a healthy emotional state when you live like that. When she goes out, she's looking forward to coming back home. Let that be your story. I say, let that be your story. In the name of Jesus. That's why you will not have time for side chick. When you are with so born, so, some other person and you're always talking about your wife, they, you can, they can never become your side chick. chick. <laughs> you are with a lady, young men, men, you are with a lady, and all you talk about is your wife, your wife, your wife. In fact, 
they can never become your side chick. So protect yourself like that. Have a healthy relationship. I'm not saying being sarcastic, but protect yourself and enjoy your relationship. Then finally, your physical health. Physical health. This is what we all know about, so I wouldn't waste much time on that. But some wisdom of God in this thing is that we should have a healthy diet and healthy living. Many of us don't care about what we eat. We just eat anything. You eat one big bowl of uh, this thing, like I won't call the name, some mountainous food like that at 11 p.m. And then you, you start to wonder why you had some kind of dream like that, that you saw dragons and you saw, you saw dragons and all kinds of animals chasing you. When you eat like that at 11, there is a potential for it. It's not a demon at all. You ate the demon yourself. You know, mind what you eat. Now, somebody like me, I can almost eat anything. The moment I get on a plane and they serve me food, my wife will tell you, I just start eating. She asks me, what are you eating? I say, I don't know, but I'm hungry. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm hungry. That is my life. I just eat. I just eat. She will say, what is this? Is this? I just eat. You know, but at the same time, I'm mindful. Some of us who are like that, if care is not taking you, just eat and eat and eat and eat. Paul said something in 1 Corinthians 6. He said, all things are lawful for me, verse 12, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will, be, I will not be brought under the power of any. I will not be brought under the power of any. I will not be brought under the power of any. You will not be brought under the power of any. In the name of Jesus. Verse 13 says, let's read verse 13 together. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods but God will destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. It adds, I was wondering how he moved from food to sexual impurity, because sexual impurity also drains your physical power. Your, your health cannot be balanced if you run around on your spouse. In fact, you run a risk of contacting diseases that attack your body. I'm looking at the camera because there's no kind of person like that here. By the grace of God. They are usually in cyberspace. <laughs> Those kind of men are usually in cyberspace and women. They don't exist around us in Jesus' name. But you know something? Sexual immorality drains physically. And when I say sexual immorality, I'm not talking about just going to physically commit the act. Pornography. Hidden, hidden, hidden access to pornography, masturbation, those things affect your physical state and it makes it difficult for you to have the proper kind of relationship with your spouse, either when you marry, either when uh, the, the one you are married to now or when you eventually get married. Fornication. These are things that we should not allow. He said these things, he said they are not, our body is not for such sexual immorality but for the Lord. So you want a healthy diet, you want healthy living. Mind what you eat. Be very careful. As you grow older, you can't eat everything the same way you were. When you are 40, don't eat the same way you were when you are 20. Mind what you eat. Mind the meat you eat. One time I was attacked by gout. This thing that happens to somebody's food. So those of you that are medical will know it. And I got to my GP because I, I don't know, my foot was just swelling up my toe. My, my GP said, congratulations. I said, what do you mean, congratulations? He said, you have a rich man's disease. I said, my, my, sir, there's nothing like a rich man's disease. <laughs> he said, you're eating too much fish. He said, do you drink wine? I said, hardly. He said, do you drink? He said, do you eat fish? I said, hardly. I said, because those two things are not part of me. Then he said, red meat. I said, ah, that one, I eat a lot of it. He said, eat more of chicken and this and that. Then he gave me some things, and that was it. It went. But then I discovered that now that I'm that age, maybe my body reacts to it. But many years ago, I, didn't, I could eat anything. You have to understand this. Every one of us must watch what we eat. We must watch what we eat. They say red wine is good for you. It's good for your health. It's good for your heart. That is true. But you know something? If you don't control red wine, you'll become a drunkard. So why, why a little wine is good for your belly? If you drink red wine and drink red wine to the point where it now controls you, you have missed the point. It's no more healthy. Every one of us must understand these things. And finally, exercise and godliness. First Timothy 4, 8 talks about bodily exercise that profits little. 
it profits but a little. Say, but godliness is profitable for all things. Do some exercise. You don't have to register in the gym if you can't do, but make sure you're always exercising. Keep your heart pumping regularly. It helps you to be physically fit for what God is doing. Now, notice I'm saying all these things help us with divine health. It's just the wisdom of God. And rest when you need to rest. Some of us don't learn to rest. We just walk and walk and walk and walk until God says you have to rest by force. Make sure you put into your time your strategy of resting. Don't overwork yourself. I work hard. I believe in hard work, but don't overwork yourself. The Bible says exercise. It profits a little. Godliness is profitable. Godliness is an element of God. God himself rested. Even after creating the world, he rested on the seventh day. To show us that to be godly, you should also take some rest. Jesus said to the disciples, he said, come and let's rest for a while in Mark 7. Every one of us must understand that we need to always find a time to rest and live healthily. I believe that God wants to do something with us through this week as we look at this topic. 3 John 1, 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. God's desire is that you are in health and that you are prospering in your soul. You, the spirit man, prosper in, all, in health, in your physical, just as your soul, your mind is also prospering. May your divine health, spirit, soul, and body be ratified. In the name of Jesus, may anything that is trying to make it difficult for you to walk in God's full plan for your life be destroyed today. In the name of Jesus, what you are going to do with this communion today is that you are going to trust God that the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that has made you free from the law of sin and death will walk in these emblems and cause you to overcome every challenge to your divine health. In the name of Jesus, let's rise to our feet. And thank God for the word we have heard. Well.